This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Human beings don't live forever, but some of us pass on before our time is up. That's where the science of reviving the recently dead comes into play. Although there's stories of people who survive and do amazingly well, there are other people who can be revived, can be brought back to life, but not in a situation in which they would want to continue to live. Then, a shocking one-third of American adults haven't saved a penny toward their retirement. What's this mean for our nation's future? Are there any positive trends among the country's savers? What we had set out to try and find out was, at what age do people start saving for retirement? And on that front, we actually found some good news. Those two stories, and much more, are ahead on this week's edition of InfoTrack, right after this. InfoTrack. The weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. When it comes to reviving people who are apparently deceased, modern medicine has made amazing strides. It's a fascinating topic, and who better to talk about it than a medical doctor? We welcome to InfoTrack David Cassaret, MD, author of Shocked Adventures in Bringing Back the Recently Dead. David, one of these stories actually inspired you to go to medical school, is that right? Yeah, that's more or less true. Uh, it was the story of Michelle Funk, who I heard about as I was on my way to medical school, in fact. And it was the story of a two-and-a-half-year-old girl who fell into a creek and drowned outside of Salt Lake City, Utah, back in the 80s. And she was underwater for about an hour and then was without a heartbeat, without a pulse, not breathing, no sign of life for the next two hours. And then somehow, after three hours of being apparently dead, the team revived her and bring her back to life. Before the advent of modern technology, what kinds of things did doctors do to try to revive people? You know, it's a good question, but a better question might be what didn't they try? Because if you look back through the history of resuscitation, they tried, this is way back in the, the 1700s, they tried pretty much everything. Some examples are using bellows to inflate the lungs, putting people's feet in boiling water, burying them in snow, throwing drowning victims over the back of a trotting horse in hopes of resuscitating them. So they they were very, very, very creative back then. I'm sure that most of our listeners have heard about cryonics, the process of freezing a body after death. Is there anything to that? Does that work at all? It's a great question. Unfortunately, we don't know, because although more than 100 people have been frozen, nobody, to my knowledge, has actually been revived. There are some examples from the natural world. There's one animal, the American wood frog, that somehow manages to freeze itself over the winter. It lets itself drop down to below freezing. It turns into a solid wood frog, believe it or not. Its heart stops beating. And then when it begins to warm up, its heart starts beating again, and it begins to thaw, and it hops away. So there are a few examples like that from the natural world that make some folks think that cryonics might be possible at some point. But to date, the best we've managed to do is to freeze bits and pieces of people like heart valves and and corneas. And there's a long, long way between freezing somebody's heart valve and freezing somebody's heart or freezing a whole person. So right now, it's very much a long shot. We're talking on InfoTrack with David Cassaret, M.D., author of Shocked, Adventures in Bringing Back the Recently Dead. 
David, how useful is it for our listeners to learn resuscitation techniques? What's the survival rate for those who receive CPR? It depends on what kind of CPR you receive, and it depends on whether the person who's doing CPR has had any training. But under the right circumstances, meaning you're being taken care of by somebody, even a bystander who knows CPR, if you're in a situation where there are defibrillators handy, even if they are these automated external defibrillators that are appearing in train stations and bus stations and airports and shopping malls, your chances of survival, meaning a good survival, surviving to leave the hospital, are as much as one in three. Compare that to people's survival without some of those devices and without CPR, and it's often as low as one or two percent. So one lesson of the more recent history of resuscitation is that this form of crowdsourcing, crowdsourcing survival or crowdsourcing resuscitation, really does work, and it's saving lives every day. Is there any relationship between the cause of death and the chances of resuscitation? In other words, is there one form of of dying that's going to give you better odds of being brought back? That's absolutely true. And that's what I stress in a lot of the conversations I have with my patients. If you die of cardiac arrest, that's due to a heart rhythm problem. Those causes of death are often very easily reversible. A little bit of CPR and a shock to the heart is often enough to bring those people back. And that's often what we think of when we think of resuscitation. That's what we think of when we think of a sudden death. Those are sort of the easy deaths to reverse. Unfortunately, many of my patients who I take care of in a hospice unit, many of our patients here don't die because of something as simple as their heart stopping. They're dying because they have many, many advanced chronic illnesses like cancer or emphysema, diabetes, coronary artery disease. And when people die because of those multiple causes, it becomes much, much more difficult to bring them back. But still, we have in our mind images that we see on television of somebody's heart stopping. They pass out, they die, and then they're brought back to life. And there's a temptation to think that, well, you know, that's really pretty easy. And it can be, but it isn't always. And it seems like if someone has a freezing death or they die in a cold situation such as underwater, that also helps them survive longer, right? That's been one of the most interesting lessons of many of the most spectacular survivals that we've seen in the last hundred years or so, including that of of people like Michelle Fung. When you get over the initial media hype and the reporters walk away, then scientists begin to look at why this person or that person did particularly well. Why did this person survive after an hour or more underwater? And one of the most common answers that researchers have come up with is cold that whether it's a near drowning or somebody who dies of hypothermia and then is brought back, cold is protective. Cold slows the metabolism of our cells down, often to such a point at which people can survive much, much longer without oxygen. It's sort of like tricking our bodies into hibernating for a brief period of time. And so our bodies and our brains in particular are much better equipped to survive circumstances like a cardiac arrest where there isn't enough oxygen. That doesn't last forever, but it often buys people enough time so that they can get through a half an hour or 45 minutes. Our guest is physician David Cassaret, author of Shocked Adventures in Bringing Back the Recently Dead. I'm just wondering, David, if you have maybe one more story that you found particularly fascinating you might want to share with us. 
I'm not sure fascinating is the right term, but the story that goes along with the story of Michelle Funk was the story of a patient I met when I was in medical school, shortly after I heard about Michelle Funk's story. This is a patient who was an avid fisherman, active outdoors guy who had very, very bad coronary artery disease, and he had a cardiac arrest in front of me when I was in medical school. And I was part of the team that helped to revive him, which was great. It made me feel like a doctor for the first time in my life, which was an amazing experience. And we were able to revive him, but we were able to revive him only to spend 18 days in an intensive care unit, during which time he never woke up was never able to be aware of his surroundings or interact with his family, never able to breathe on his own or regain consciousness, and finally died 18 days later. So that was eye-opening to me because although there's stories like Michelle Funk's of people who survive and do amazingly well, there are other people like Joe who can be revived, can be brought back to life, but not in a situation in which they would want to continue to live. So it was my initial lesson that science could do really, really, truly amazing things that we never would have imagined 20 years ago, but it could also bring us troubles and problems that we wouldn't have thought to be afraid of 20 years ago. So it's definitely two-sided. Very interesting. Well, the book is Shocked, Adventures in Bringing Back the Recently Dead, the author David Cassaret, M.D., and you can learn more at his website, which is David Cassaret, one word, and the last name C-A-S-A-R-E-T-T dot com. David, thank you so much for joining us on InfoTrack. Oh, thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Next, will your retirement be the golden years or a time of struggling to make ends meet? An expert shares eye-opening facts and figures you should hear. Coming up. 